So you may be wondering why in the world we're um, still, I mean, our Christmas decorations are still up. We're still in our Christmas presents series. You may be wondering, you may be wondering why, because you may be the kind of people who the moment Christmas is over, you start de-decorating. What's that called? Is that the word, de-decorating? I've never heard that before. Um, but you start like tearing stuff down, like you open the last gift and mom's like, time to take the ornaments off the tree. Uh, some of you though, some of you are like February people, aren't you? You're like, I just love Christmas. If it's February 1 and you have your Christmas stuff up, you're just lazy, that's it. You might as well just leave it to the end. So when we first moved to our house here in Loma Linda, um, the first year, I took a great deal of time in putting up our Christmas lights. Like, I put them up, I, I stapled them to the, you know, to the awnings or whatever, exactly the way they should be. They outlined our house perfectly. They were great. And so, so Christmas was over, and my wife goes, so you can take those down? And I was like, no. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I put them up that way so that we'd never have to take them down again. And they stayed up for 15 years. And at that, it is impressive. You're welcome. Um, yeah, then I, then they didn't work anymore, so I had to tear them down. And that was a pain because I had put them in quite well. Anyway, February, all right, Christmas is over. Because it started in June, I think. It felt like. Anyway, um, the reason why we're still in this Christmas series is A, we have one more week in the year. But B, um, some gifts keep on giving, wouldn't you say? Anybody get a puppy? Really? One person? Because seriously, I've asked every single series, Ron, you got one? Ron got one. He's in the cafe. He's like, yeah, I got a puppy. Puppies keep on giving. They have lots of gifts for you. Kitties, kitties, they keep giving. Art, we have art in our house from, from family and from friends. Um, that's a gift that keeps on giving. Baby Yoda keeps on giving this year, apparently. Yeah. yeah you guys like Baby Yoda better than puppies. That's only been culturally with us for like a month. And you're like, baby Yoda. It's very cute. It's very cute. Um, but, but listen, if you think that Christmas ends when the wrapping, you know, when you're done unwrapping, then maybe you don't understand what Christmas is about. Because some gifts just keep on giving. Today we're going to study a story that you've probably heard, you probably know. Um, but you maybe have not studied it as in-depth as we're about to study. It's the story of Simeon, um, and it happens just a little bit after Jesus was born. And so um, the first time I encountered this story, we had a, a set of children's books, you know, very Jesus-y children's books, and uh, religious children's books. Why did I say Jesus-y? That sounds, I didn't mean to diminish that. Um, and they were the ones with the red, they had red on the end, do you know which ones? If you grew up Adventist, like, you know what I'm talking about. And they had the story of Simeon. It's the only time. Um, because it, it, we don't know much about him. It doesn't show up very much, but we're going to study it. And it starts like this. Luke 2, verse 21. It says, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Now, this is important for us to understand. This actually harkens to something that comes a little bit later. Galatians 4.4 reminds us that Jesus was born under the law. And by them doing this, by them circumcising Jesus, and at that point giving him the name that the angel had given to him, which, as we all know, Jesus means Yahweh saves or God saves, um, this means that Jesus 
was, was relevant, if you will, and living within his context and within his culture. He came at a particular time to a particular set of people, and he lived under those same rules. Now, the same is true for us today, if you want to know the truth. We share the gospel in relevant ways that have to do with our culture and our, um, our context. I mean, I don't know, maybe a lot of you still read the King James Version. It's been a while since I've read it. And, I, and listen, there are some some texts that need to be read in the King James Version. Am I right? That's how you learned it. It needs to be thou and thee or else it didn't really happen. That's what it feels like. But, but we read from different versions now because of culture and context. Things change. And that's okay. Jesus was, um, had given himself over to his context and to his culture. Then it was time, it says in Luke 22, 222. Then it was time for the purification offering. Now, we're going to do something here that is going to make language nerds really happy, and it's going to make everybody else be like, I can't believe you're telling us all this stuff. It's important stuff, but I get that you may not love it. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wade through some cement, if you will, because we're about to see something that shows up in Scripture over a thousand times about to happen. And it's important that you understand it, and we'll get to it in a little bit. But we're talking about the purification that actually contained three elements, although Luke only talks about two of the elements here. Um, Mary's purification, so the mother's purification, which comes to us from Leviticus 12, 6 through 8, which involved a sacrifice being offered at the Nicanor Gate in the court of the women, because men and women had to worship separately, and the redemption of the firstborn son, Exodus 13, 1 and 2. Now, there's a third part which we're not interested in, or at least Luke is not interested in, but the, the, the redemption of the firstborn son involves shekels. This comes from Numbers chapter 3, verses 47 and 48, and which Luke doesn't mention that one really at all. And then the consecration of the firstborn son, which comes to us from Samuel 1, verses 11, 22, and 28. So what we find, all that to say, what we find in chapter 2, 22 through 24, is what we call a chiasm. Okay, that's the, that's the response I was expecting. There's no one in this room who's like, oh, I love those. Yeah, so a chiastic structure shows up literally thousands of times in Scripture, well over a thousand times. And in fact, in the book of Joshua, there are 67 chiasms. What this means, let me break it down. Have you ever read Scripture and felt like it's repeating itself? Like it says it? So we see this in Paul all the time. Although Paul's are not necessarily chiastic in structure, Paul just didn't think you were very smart. So he said it three times so you catch on. Right? But to be fair, Paul hung out with a lot of the apostles who were disciples, and we've all met the disciples. They were not the sharpest bunch, you know, tools in the shed. So, but the, the Old Testament uses chiastic structure to show the priority of God and the importance of cer- certain things, right? It actually shows you can actually graph a chiastic structure to see what's really important. And so we're about to experience a chiasm, which is not a big deal. Um, to experience. But it's important that you know that for when you read Scripture and you see this is repeated a few times. I wonder why they're doing that. It means God, through the author, is trying to emphasize something. And what they're trying to emphasize here, what, what Luke is trying to emphasize is that Jesus was born into a culture, into a context, and he was born under that culture, context, and law. 
He says it like this. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. This is the second part of the chiasm. So it goes, it goes Mary, Jesus, Jesus, Mary. That's kind of the chiasm there. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, why did Luke describe the sacrifice? Was it purely for historical reasons or was it to demonstrate that Joseph and Mary obeyed the law? Or perhaps it was because he expected his readers to know that according to Leviticus 12.8, the normal sacrifice involved a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. And thus, because of this, he tells us this particular sacrifice, turtle doves, two young pigeons, so that we can fully understand that Joseph and Mary were poor. They were born in a humble state so they couldn't afford the lamb that they were supposed to be using. And in some ways, this is the author opening up the scripture to understand, to help the readers understand that salvation didn't come just for those in the high parts of society or those who have done very well for themselves or are, are, are rich generationally. That these, that Jesus came to a family that was poor. The, the, the later explanation, the, the idea that it, it was for our understanding of how poor there was makes sense when you take Luke 1, 48 into, into the context where he says, you know, he's born in a stable, these things. It, it was expected that his readers should know this. So when they read that it's the wrong sacrifice, they realize, oh, these people don't have much. Now, we take that and then we jump right into the story of Simeon right here. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, which we'll get to in a second. But um, how much do you know about Simeon? You know a lot? <laughs> exactly the response I was expecting. There's, there's nothing in Scripture about Simeon except what we see right here. There's very little that we know. You talk about Paul, you can go on forever. You talk about Peter, you can go on forever. But when you talk about Simeon, you don't know very much. And, and only the role that he played in Jesus' story is important to Luke. So let me ask you this question. What role are you playing in the Jesus story right now? What role are you playing? What role has God given you to play in the Jesus story that he is creating right now through you, through your family, through your community, through this church? What role is God asking you to play? Because God is picking a role for you. God is picking a particular position that you and only you can really exercise. My son's school is doing a... Um, they're doing a musical. I think this is the first time they've done a musical. And um, he asked to be assistant director. I don't know if he just didn't want to sing or whatever. But he, he asked to be assistant director. And they were like, yeah. And Jake, you got to know my son. He's just this amazing kid. He's the nicest person. In fact, he tells me often, Dad, I just want to be nice. That's such, it's so cool. Like, that's, that's so awesome. Um, he says, I just want to be nice. Anyway, he now sits at the director's table when they're choosing people. And he's, I think, tasted a little bit of power. <laughs> Just a little. And he goes, Dad, you know, listen, there are some people who can sing, but they can't really act, so we got to put them in certain roles. 
And then there's some people who can act, but they can't really sing, so we got to put them in certain roles. And I was like, do you like doing that? And he's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I do like doing that. I mean, I want to be nice to everybody, but some people shouldn't, shouldn't play certain roles. <laughs> Which is true. It doesn't make him any less nice. This is his job. But, but what role are you playing in the story that Jesus is building right now? Because he's going to put you in the right role. All you got to do is be willing to accept it. So it said that the Holy Spirit was, was moving and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah, jumping back into the story. Now remember, it, um, the term that is often translated says he will not see death, he would not die. That's an Old Testament phrase, which was, uh, you know, it was nice that he wasn't going to die until he sees the Savior. Remember, we're coming out of 400 years of silence, right? 400 years where God wasn't saying anything. And now in the last year, God had, God had you know, spoken to Zechariah, spoken to Mary, spoken to Joseph. Things were changing. Things were happening. I used to think, and I think I got this idea from those little books or just somewhere I ended up with it. I, I used to think that, that Simeon had known forever that he, like from the time he was a little kid, that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. I don't know if that's true or not. Probably in that last year, God had seemed to be waking up and moving again, right? That's probably the, the time. And it says that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. Now, another thing I always assumed, and I don't know why I had assumed this, I had assumed that Simeon was going to the temple every single day. That's not the case. Simeon was listening to the Holy Spirit move in his life, and that day, he went to the temple because that's what the Holy Spirit told him to do. So when Mary and Joseph, his parents, and by the way, some translations say parents, Luke did not delineate between Mary, his mother, and Joseph, his stepdad. He just said parents. He just said his mother and father. Why is that important? Because there's no delineation between um, Joseph and Jesus as far as this relationship is somehow different than just a father and a son. That's because Joseph had accepted parental rights. He had adopted Jesus as soon as he was born. And in no way does that undermine the virgin birth. They came to present the baby to the Lord as the law required. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arm and he praised God, saying, and by the way, have you noticed time and time again, a, a response of meeting Jesus is worship. It's giving glory to God. When you see who Jesus really is, you recognize you better worship because God has given you the greatest gift of all, right? And, and he said this, he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. Now, there's a master and servant kind of idea going on in this text, but, but back, to, back to being kind of a language nerd, this is really important. He says, your servant can die in peace. He also says, let me die, or he says, let me go. This is a, it's a Semitic way of saying, dismiss your servant in peace, let me die. And the Greek tense of this verb, it's present indicative. Now, if you know what that means, it means that he is saying, now I'm dying because I've seen you. Now I'm dying. The process of being put to rest is beginning here. Why? Because I've seen your salvation, says Luke 2.30. And this is an allusion to Isaiah 45, where it says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Because he says this, I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. But actually, the translation that would be better is not all people, it's all peoples with an S. 
This is a direct use of the plural to include the Gentiles, to include everyone on the earth. In the next verse, Luke uses the singular to speak of Israel. So he says he's a light to reveal God to the nations, to the peoples, and he is the glory of your people, singular Israel. This verse goes a step further than the angels singing to the shepherds even. Jesus brings light or revelation to the Gentiles and glory to Israel or salvation to Israel. It's the clearest indication that Jesus had universal redemption in mind when he came to the earth. And this is what this means. It means that redemption and salvation is not just for you and I because we've somehow been chosen. It's that Jesus died for everyone on this planet. And that should be an incredible uh, motivation for us to make sure that everybody knows who Jesus is. And you know how we do that? Even if, I mean, we might just have one moment in our lives to hold up that baby Jesus like Simeon did, and say, this is salvation, right? While this is happening, Jesus' parents, it says, were amazed because that's what people are when they meet Jesus. They're amazed at somebody meeting Jesus. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. They're like, are you serious? Is this for real? Because, you know, at some point they had to question whether or not this whole thing was really happening. Now they're at the temple and they see this happening and they are just amazed, when was the last time you were amazed at who Jesus is in your life? I'm serious. When was the last time that your heart quickened, that you had to take a step back and say, I can't believe Jesus is doing this in my life right now. I can't believe he's taking care of me so well. I can't believe that, that, that he's coalescing everything in this planet to, to, for my benefit. When was the last time that you believed God was actually as powerful as he was, all fully recognized and revealed in Jesus? When was the last time you read a piece of scripture and stopped and went, wow. Don't let Jesus become commonplace. He's not common. And the moment he ceases to amaze you, the moment he ceases to quicken your heart, the moment he ceases, oh, that's when we've domesticated him. That's when we've made him into something that he's different. How will 2020 continue the Jesus story in your life is the question. Is 2020 going to be a year of renewal and revival for you? And I say that particularly. Last week, if you happen to be here, I mentioned that I believe we were living in the great exhale, right? Where the Spirit of God was moving and it was, it was, it was taking place and people breathed in the Holy Spirit. And we've been living on that exhale for a long time. Well, at some point, you have to inhale and breathe in the Holy Spirit again. And I believe that we're seeing the rustlings of that all throughout Christianity, let alone throughout our denomination. We are beginning to see a people who are awakening to what the Holy Spirit is doing and wanting to be a part of it. I believe that 2020 is, something, is a time where you will be renewed in your heart and where that renewal will, be, will become viral, which we call revival. I believe that to be true. Friends, we've seen it in 2019. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who said, come plant a church here. We want to be part of what God is doing through you guys. We, we want you to come over here. We want you to fly over here. We'll put up a screen. We'll do it. We'll do it in our homes. They just want a new expression of church. They just want something that is different from what they've had that feels like death. It feels like dead and dry bones. They want something that's alive, that's living. And I got to tell you, they come and they look in here. Yeah. I'll tell you, they come and they look at what we're doing and they're like, oh, we can't even believe this is happening. You know what? It's happening because we said yes to God. 
We simply said, Lord, take us where you want to take us. We're going to go there courageously and we're going to be okay with criticism that happens because we don't look normal. We don't act the same. We're going to be okay that we do things differently. And because of that, people look in every single week and go, man, I wish I could be there. Now, that's not something we wear as a badge of honor that puffs up our chest. We humbly want to follow where God is leading. We humbly believe that God is doing something and we want to live in that something. But I'll tell you what, it only starts, this is not something that comes from the church. This is something that comes from the Holy Spirit working in your heart, in your life, changing what you want, opening up your heart to become available to be used by Him. And I don't know what role God is calling you to play. It might be huge, it might be small. But then Simeon says some stuff. He says, then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, thanks for clarifying, Luke, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. That does not sound like a blessing, does it? Do you think they're like, oh, yes, what? What did he say? I mean, what if we did that when we were baptizing people? If we were like, praise God, we're so excited that you're going to be baptized. This is so wonderful. Just so you know, you're going to cause a ton of people to fall. And then dunk them. People would be like, hey, What? He say, that doesn't sound like a blessing. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. This is kind of a mixed message at best, wouldn't you say? And he says, as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, we've had a tendency to just just focus in on that piece that he's saying to Mary and a sword will pierce your very soul and say, oh, he's talking about the cross and Mary's going to be brokenhearted and all that. But he says a bunch of other stuff there that I think is important. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This is the thing. Jesus and being in contact with Jesus reveals hearts. It reveals intent and you cannot hide. You will know who you are through Jesus, and other people in Jesus will know who you are as well. Standing before Jesus is like standing before a mirror. By the way, have you ever been to a hotel where the lighting's significantly different than your bathroom? Right? You walk in in the morning, and you know how you look in the morning. You turn on that light, and you realize how you really look in the morning. You're like, (sighs) Right? That's like standing in front of Jesus. Now, that's frightening. It can be frightening. I especially don't like those mirrors that get super close up on your face. Those are inappropriate in any situation. If God wanted us to see our pores that closely, he would have done that with the rivers when we looked into them, and he doesn't do that. We are not meant to see ourselves that closely, friends. But meeting Jesus is like standing in a mirror. And the problem is the first thing you see in a mirror is the harsh light. And you look and you go, oh, no, that's what I really am. And it, 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 it shows us hearts and it shows us intents. But then you got to remember, you don't just look through that mirror. You then get to see yourself through Jesus' eyes if you continue. And when you see yourself through Jesus' eyes, you see how much he loves you and how beautiful he thinks you are. And how amazing the things that you can do really are with him. Because Jesus is never going to leave you in the harsh light of that bathroom. He's going to take you into the light of day, not to push this metaphor too far. See, Simeon was willing to wait to see Jesus and to see through Jesus' eyes. But he didn't just wait quietly. He waited willingly listening 
to the Holy Spirit, knowing when to move. And when he saw Jesus, he recognized that Jesus was all he needed. In fact, so much to the point where he's like, I'm good to go. I'm dying now because there's not going to be anything that gets better than this. This is a perfect day. See Jesus, hold Jesus, give him back, and go home and die. It's as full as my day will ever get. Simeon had a small but important role in the Jesus story. And so the question for you today is, what role are you playing in the story that God is creating around you and with you? Now, we're looking at a new year, right? And I know this is resolution time, right? And you've written down your resolutions. I'm going to read more. I'm going I'm to eat better. I'm going to lose weight. Don't get that gym membership. You'll just regret it. <laughs> pay monthly. Maybe this is a year not for resolutions. Maybe this year is the year for the prayer of, Lord, whatever you want me to do, Whatever role you want me to play, I will play. Maybe not, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but Lord, what would you have me do? I mean, some of us are going to be called to be Peters and Pauls. Some of us are going to talk way too much to way too many people, but some of us are going to be called to be Simeons, where all you do is once hold up the, the child, Hold up the gift, and the people around you will be amazed and see. And that's all you do. But if that's all that God is calling you to, then you're the one who's supposed to be doing that. The story of Jesus would be less than without the story of Simeon in the mix. We don't know anything else about him. But we know that he played a role that was important at that point and at that time. Luke wrote in there saying, I can't forget this guy. And if you know how the story goes, then, then the prophetess Anna is, also plays a role. We chose to stop here, but she of no less import, even though her piece of the story is, I think, three verses long. You got to decide if you're going to be available to play the role that God wants you to play. Not being jealous of somebody else's role, but knowing that God has placed you in the right place, at the right time, with the right words that only you can say because that role was tailor-made for you. And if you can accept that in 2020, you see, God's got to prepare you for that role, so he's going to start working on your heart. He's going to start a renewal happening within you. A desire for scripture like you haven't seen before. A desire for fellowship and community. A desire to worship like you haven't experienced before. He's going to do that for you and with you. And then sometime in 2020, you're going to find yourself saying those words that you never thought you would say to those people you never thought you would speak to. And then you're going to go, oh, it was for today. That's what you were doing this for. Thank you for letting me be available. Not all of us will play huge roles, but we all have a role to play. So I think today we pray for clarity in that role for each one of us as we step into a new year, as we step into a new decade. Seriously, again? How old am I? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, that we might have clarity, that we might have 
a really beautiful understanding of what you want from us. And Lord, we're not going to stop praying that prayer until we know. So we will be persistent and we will be consistent in the way that we pray about what role is for us in 2020. Lord, prepare our hearts in the midst of that. As we pray that we might know what it is you want from us and for us, may we be just doggedly going after your heart. May we worship every chance we get. May we study scripture with a depth that we've never had before. May we, may we open up the word together and build a community that is based on what you would have for us. Lord, may you reveal yourself in a way we haven't seen. Lord, you continue to move. You've never stopped moving, but you continue to move powerfully. I expect an amazing resurgence of your Holy Spirit in 2020, Lord. I don't doubt it. But Lord, prepare us for it because when you show up, nothing's the same. You convict the hearts of men. You, you lay bare all their intents. So Lord, make our intentions pure. Make us clean. Make us humble before you as Mary and Joseph were in that humble state. And Lord, more than anything, let your presence linger here as we worship you today, but as we commit our lives to you every day. In your name I pray. Amen.